Chapter 7 of Consuelo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Consuelo by George Sand. Chapter 7. It may appear rather astonishing, dear reader, and yet it is very certain that Anselito never had formed an opinion of the beauty or the ugliness of Consuelo. Consuelo was a being so solitary, so unknown in Venice, that no one had thought of seeking whether, beneath this veil of isolation and obscurity, intelligence and goodness, had ended by showing themselves under an agreeable or insignificant form. Porpora, who had no senses but for his art, had only seen in her the artist. Her neighbors of the Cortominelli observed, without attaching any blame to it, her innocent love for Anselito. At Venice they are not particular on this score. They predicted, indeed very often, that she would be unhappy with this youth without business or calling, and they counseled her rather to seek to establish herself with some honest workman. But she replied to them that, as she herself was without friends or support, Anzalito suited her perfectly, and as for six years no day had passed without their seeing them together, never seeking any concealment and never quarreling, they had ended by accustoming themselves to their free and apparently indissoluble union, and no neighbor had ever paid court to the amica of Anzalito. Whether was this owing to her supposed engagement or to her extreme poverty? Or was it perhaps that her person had no attractions for them? This last supposition is the most probable. Everyone knows, however, that from 14 to 15 girls are generally thin, out of sorts, without harmony, either as to proportions or movements. Toward 15, to use a common expression, they undergo a sort of fusion after which they become, if not pretty, at least agreeable. It has even been remarked that it is not desirable that a young girl should grow good-looking too early. Consuelo, like others, had gained all the benefits of adolescence. She was no longer called ugly simply because she had ceased to be so. And as she was neither Dauphine nor Infanta, however, there were no crowds of courtiers to proclaim that Her Royal Highness grew day by day more beautiful, and no one was sufficiently solicitous to tell Anselito that he should have no occasion to blush for his bride. Since Anselito had heard her termed ugly at an age when the word had neither sense nor meaning, he had forgotten to think about it. His vanity had taken another direction. The theater and renown were all his care, and he had no time to think of conquests. His curiosity was appeased, he had no more to learn. At twenty-two he was in a measure blasé, yet his affection for Consuelo was tranquil as at eighteen, despite a few chaste kisses taken as they were given, without shame. Let us not be astonished at this calmness and propriety on the part of a youth, in other respects not over-particular. Our young people had ceased to live as described at the beginning of this history. Consuelo, now nearly sixteen, continued her somewhat wandering life, leaving the conservatory to eat her rice and repeat her lesson on the steps of the Piazzetta with Anzalito. When her mother, worn out by fatigue, ceased to sing for charity in the coffee houses in the evening, the poor creature sought refuge in one of the most miserable garrets of the Corte Manelli, 
to die upon a pallet. Then the good Consuelo, quitting her no more, entirely changed her manner of life. Exclusive of the hours when the professor deigned to give his lessons, she labored sometimes at her needle, sometimes at counterpoint, but always at the bedside of her imperious and despairing mother, who had cruelly ill-treated her in her infancy, and who now presented the frightful spectacle of a last struggle without courage and without virtue. The filial piety and devotion of Consuelo never flagged for a single instant. The pleasures of youth and of her free and wandering life, even love itself, all were sacrificed without a moment's hesitation or regret. Anzalito made bitter complaints, but finding reproaches useless, resolved to forget her and to amuse himself, but this he found impossible. He had none of the industry of Consuelo. He learned quickly but imperfectly the inferior lessons which his teacher, to gain the salary promised by Zestiniani, gave him equally quickly and equally ill. This was all very well for Anzalito, in whom prodigal nature made up for lost time and the effects of inferior instruction, but there were hours of leisure during which the friendly and cheerful society of Consuelo were found sadly wanting. He tried to addict himself to the habits of his class. He frequented public houses and wasted with young scapegraces the trifling bounties he enjoyed through the favor of Count Justiniani. This sort of life pleased him for some weeks, but he soon found that his health and his voice were becoming sensibly impaired. That the farniente was not excess, and that excess was not his element. Preserved from bad passions through a higher species of self-love, he retired to solitude and study. But they only presented a frightful mixture of gloom and difficulty. He saw that Consuelo was no less necessary to his talents than to his happiness. She was studious and persevering, living in an atmosphere of music as a bird in the air or a fish in the wave, loving to overcome difficulties without inquiring into their nature any more than a child, but impelled to combat the obstacles and penetrate the mysteries of art by an instinct invisible as that which causes a germ to penetrate the soil and seek the air. Consuelo enjoyed one of those rare and happy temperaments for which labor is an enjoyment, a sort of repose, a necessary condition, and to which inaction would be an effort, a waste, in short, a disease, if inaction indeed to such natures were possible. But they know nothing of the kind, in apparent idleness they still labor, but it is not so much reverie as meditation. In seeing them act, one would suppose that they were creating, whereas they but give expression to what has been already created. You will tell me, gentle reader, that you have never known such rare temperaments, to which I shall reply, dearly beloved reader, that I have met with but one. If so, am I older than you? Why can I not tell you that I have analyzed in my own poor brain the divine mysteries of this intellectual activity? But alas, friendly reader, it is neither you nor I who shall study this in ourselves. Consuelo worked on, amusing herself the while. She persisted for hours together, either by free and capricious flights of song or by study on the book to vanquish difficulties which would have repelled Anzalito if left to himself, and without any idea of emulation or premeditated design, 
She forced him to follow her, to second her, to comprehend and to reply to her, sometimes, as it were, in the midst of almost childish bursts of laughter, sometimes borne away by the poetic and creative fantasia which pervades the popular temperament of Italy and Spain. During the many years in which he was influenced by the genius of Consuelo, drinking at a source which he did not comprehend, copying her without knowing it, Anzalito, held besides in chains by his indolence, had become a strange compound of knowledge and ignorance, of inspiration and frivolity, of power and weakness, of boldness and awkwardness, such as had plunged Porpora at the last rehearsal into a perfect labyrinth of meditation and conjecture. The maestro did not know the secret of the riches which he had borrowed from Consuelo for having once severely scolded the little one for her intimacy with this great idler, he had never again seen them together. Consuelo, bent upon maintaining the goodwill of her master, took care whenever she saw him at a distance, if in company with Angelito, to hide herself with agile bounds behind a column or to disappear in the recesses of some gondola. These precautions were still continued when Consuelo, having become a nurse, Anzalito, unable to support her absence, and feeling life, hope, inspiration, and even existence failing him, returned to share her sedentary life and to bear with her the sourness and angry whims of the dying woman. Some months before the close of her life, the unhappy creature, broken down by her sufferings and vanquished by the filial piety of her daughter, felt her soul open to milder emotions. She habituated herself to the attentions of Anzalito, who, although little accustomed to acts of friendship and self-denial, displayed a zealous kindness and goodwill toward the feeble sufferer. Anzalito had an even temper and gentle demeanor. His perseverance toward her and Consuelo at length won her heart, and in her last moments she made them promise never to abandon each other. Anzalito promised and even felt in this solemn act a depth of feeling to which he had been hitherto a stranger. The dying woman made the engagement easier to him by saying, Let her be your friend, your sister, or your wife, only leave her not. She knows none, has listened to none but you. Consuelo, now an orphan, continued to ply her needle and study music, as well to procure means for the present as to prepare for her union with Anzalito. During the two years he continued to visit her in her garret without experiencing any passion for her or being able to feel it for others, so much did the charm of being with her seem preferable to all other things. Without fully appreciating the lofty faculties of his companion, he could see that her attainments and capabilities were superior to those of any of the singers at San Samuel or even to those of Corilla herself. To this habitual affection were now added the hope and almost the conviction that a community of interests would render their future existence at once brilliant and profitable. Consuelo thought little of the future. Foresight was not among her good qualities. She would have cultivated music without any other end in view than of fulfilling her vocation, and the community of interest which the practice of that art was to realize between her and her friend had no other meaning to her than that of an association of happiness and affection. It was therefore without apprising her of it 
that he conceived the hope of realizing their dreams and learning that Zustiniani had decided on replacing Carilla, Anzalito, sagaciously divining the wishes of his patron, had made the proposal which has already been mentioned. But Consuelo's ugliness, this strange, unexpected, and invincible drawback, if the Count indeed were not deceived, had struck terror and consternation to his soul. So he retraced his steps to the Corte Manelli, stopping every instant to recall to his mind, in a new point of view, the likeness of his friend, and to repeat again and again, Not pretty? Ugly? Frightful? End of chapter 7 Read by Bryce Cries, Young Sun, USA October 6, 2021